Good morning, Grace Trenton folks and friends in Dade County. Pastor Hutch here. It's good to be with you this Sunday morning and get to open God's Word together. Now, we are continuing in our Easter season as the church, and that is in this season we are dwelling on and working out the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. And in this particular season, we're talking week after week about how does the resurrection of Jesus speak into the sufferings and the difficulties and hardships we face in this life. Now, that's an important topic for us right now because we find ourselves in the midst of this global pandemic where all of life has been turned upside down and we are beginning to face threat and hardship and danger and suffering that's coming into our life. And so we're talking about what does suffering uh, have to do with the Christian life, which is an incredibly important kind of topic to talk about. Now, the reality is there is a great misconception about the Christian life that is very, very common in our culture. And the reality is it probably lives in our hearts, too. And that misconception is this deep-seated belief. Now, we wouldn't all often articulate this in our head, but the reality is, is it, it, it lives deeply in our heart. But it's this deep-seated belief that if I'm a good person, if I am a, a faithful Christian, if I go to church, if I help other people, if I do the right things, if I tithe my money to God, if I go to church, if I um, uh, pray, if I read my Bible, if I am a good Christian, if, if I am faithful to God, then I will not suffer in my life. God will protect me from hardship and difficulty and tragedy in my life. If I am faithful, then I'm not going to suffer. And that is a deep-seated belief that, that, that lies in our hearts, and we think that's how the Christian life works. And so when suffering comes into our life, when hardship and failure and difficulty comes into our life, the reaction so often in us is this confusion, deeply being unsettled and asking, Am I, have I done something wrong? Am I in some way doing something wrong and God's trying to teach me a lesson here or uh, has God abandoned me or... or um, and, and in, often, in many cases, we, we feel deeply hurt by God whenever suffering comes into, my li into our life. And, and sometimes we feel angry uh, against God. And oftentimes, and this is the case for many people in the Bible Belt, this is a, a very common reality, is that we actually walk away from God. We become angry with God and walk away because... Our understanding was, if I am faithful, if I keep up my end of the bargain here, then God will do His part. And so often, deep down, the reason that we obey and live the Christian life is because we believe that if I do this, then God will bless me and make my life go well. But here's the reality. That is not biblical Christianity. That is nowhere taught in the scriptures. It is never taught that if we are good and if we are faithful, then God will prevent suffering and failure and loss from coming into our life. In fact, the clear teaching of the New Testament is just the opposite. 
that for those who are in Christ, we will have trouble in this life. It's a promise uh, that we will share in the sufferings of Christ. It is an inevitable reality. And the reality about this current pandemic that we're in is that it is opening our eyes to this truth. It's dismantling this misconception that we have about the Christian life. So in that way, this current uh, COVID-19 reality is purifying our faith. And so as we come to our passage today, we see that yet again. I want to see two things in our passages today. Uh, the first thing I want us to see is our identity in Christ. And then secondly, I want us to see how suffering is the mark or the evidence of our identity in Christ. So let's look at our passage here together. We're, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're going back to Romans chapter 8. We're looking, we're starting at verse 14 here. And, and one of the things that Paul's going to emphasize here in this passage is the truth of our identity in Christ. That is, through union with Christ by faith. What is now true of us? What is our position and our status? And that is our identity. And the, the particular emphasis that he wants to press on us in this passage about our identity is that we now, through union with Christ, that we are God's children. And he says this a couple times in here, and it's, it's the focus of the passage, but that through Christ we actually become His sons and daughters. It's a tremendous reality. Now, that might not be something that initially strikes us as incredibly profound. You know, we hear people say a lot, and this is a very common thing that we would hear said in our culture, even from people who are not believers. But we hear this all the time, that people say, we're all God's children, that that's what we share in common with all of humanity, that all people are God's children. And it's very common to hear that, and sometimes we even say that. But the reality is, that's not true. Scripture nowhere teaches that all people are God's children. It does teach that all people are God's image, that all people are God's creation. Now, those realities are profound. It, it means that every human being has tremendous worth and value. But it is a very different thing for Paul to say that through Christ we are God's children. As we see that, in this passage, he's going to un unpack the significance of that. So let's look again, verse 14, where Paul says this, Those who are led by the Spirit of God, now for Paul that's a synonym with being in union with Christ, those who know Jesus, those who are united to Him by faith alone, are given His Spirit. Receiving the Spirit is not some second blessing. When you are united to Jesus, when you're saved, we are given the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of us. So Paul says, if that is you, if you're led by the Spirit, if you have God's Holy Spirit in you, then you are sons of God. Some of our translations actually say there, we are children of God. He says the same thing in verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now this is an amazing reality. That if you are in union with Christ, if you are in union with the Son of God, then we 
become His children. We become His sons and daughters. We come into His family. We come into a relationship of acceptance with God. Now specifically in verse 14, Paul says we are sons. Some of our translations have, have updated the language to make it gender neutral, but specifically the Greek says they're sons. And now that's important. Why he specifically wants to say to us both who are, are men and women and male and female that all of us in Christ regardless of our gender, Paul wants to say, you are now sons. Now, what is the significance of that? Well, look at verse 15, where he says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave against fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you received the spirit of sonship. Literally in the Greek it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, this concept of adoption is an important one for Paul. Now, adoption wasn't a concept in the Hebrew world, but in the Roman world it was, and it's very similar to adoption in our own culture. Now, some of us know very, very tangibly this concept of adoption, whether you've adopted children or been adopted yourself. But in the Roman world, adoption was this a legal status whereby a wealthy person who did not have a living heir would adopt a son into their family in order that that son might become their heir and they might become a, a part of their family and carry on the family name. Now what's important to realize about this metaphor that Paul's using here is that with adoption it is a legal status that is conferred. That it is something that is done by the father. It's not something that is done by the adopted child. They merely receive it. It doesn't, uh, this new status does not come on the basis of something that they do. They don't perform. They don't try out for it. They, they don't earn it in any way. It is simply something that is conferred upon them. But it is a legal reality. Therefore, it is outside of them. It's a new status and a new position that is conferred upon them. And when one was adopted into the family, they would now have all the rights to the inheritance. They would receive the family name positionally and legally. They would now be a part of this family. They would now have rights to the inheritance. They would now have position in the family. They would have the acceptance, the same acceptance that you would have as a natural born son. And so what Paul's trying to get us to see here is that this is what's happened for us in Christ. When we're united to Jesus, we are legally brought into this new standing this new position, this new status where we now have the rights of the inheritance, we have the full acceptance of, of sons. Now, well, why does he say sons? Well, because in the, in the ancient world, the, the son, the firstborn son was the one who received the inheritance. They had this privileged position. They, they carried on the family name. They had a status and standing that was like no others. And so whenever Paul says we've been adopted as sons, he's not just speaking to men, he's speaking to men and women in Christ. And he's saying all of us now have this new legal status and position 
of the firstborn son before the father. We've been adopted into that legal status, into that position, the very position of Jesus. And that is now conferred upon us. That is a reality that is now true of us apart from our experience of it. We might not feel that. We might not experience it. But the reality is it has legally become true of us through Christ. And that is our identity. It's outside of us. It's not something that comes and goes. It's not something that we had any part in. It's not something that we merited. It's something that was conferred upon us by grace through the work of Jesus, His Son. So our, our adoption as sons means acceptance and inheritance and a new status. That is the position that we get when we're united to Jesus. But one of the things to see in this passage is that a heavy emphasis here is not just that new status that's conferred upon us, but actually our experience of that status. And that, that, that's a part of the real emphasis and focus of here. Look again at verse 15 where Paul says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to, to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and now get this, the, the second sentence in that verse, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So there he is talking about the experience of intimacy in this new status and relationship that we enjoy. And that actually through the Spirit that we cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. Now Abba is actually an Aramaic word. It's Aramaic for Daddy for father, but it's, it's, it's a very intimate term, but much like the English daddy. It, it, it conveys tremendous intimacy and closeness. And now the profound thing about this is that this is actually what Jesus cried out to his father in heaven. In Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's crying out to the father in that incredibly intimate moment, he says, Abba. Father. See, it was an expression of the intimacy that Jesus enjoyed with the Father. Now, here's the incredible thing that, the Paul, that Paul is helping us to see in this passage. That through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are actually brought into that intimate relationship between Jesus and the Father. That when we are united to Jesus, we're brought into that relationship so that we actually enjoy that closeness, that delight, that we actually begin to experience crying out in intimacy with Him, Daddy. That we can actually say that to the Father, that He wants us to approach Him on that level of intimacy. You know, it, it, when we think about Jesus's intimate relationship with the Father. We can go back and we can see that scene at Jesus' baptism where he, he comes up out of the water and He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment we see a tremendous window into the relationship between Jesus and His Father. And, and we see in that moment that, that heaven is opened and that, that God literally, the Father speaks over the Son just these tremendous words of, of pleasure and validation 
revelation, in that moment, he says over Jesus, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. See, the father in that moment wasn't just making some theological statement. He wasn't just saying that for everyone there. He was speaking it over Jesus in that moment. The heart of the Father was, was filled with delight and pleasure in His Son. And so in that moment, He speaks words of validation over Jesus. You are my Son. You belong to me. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. You know, for a lot of us, we might have longed all of our life to hear words of validation from our Father in that way. You know, we were created to experience the validation and the naming of our Father, to experience His pleasure like that. We, we as children, we long for that. We even long for it as we grow into adults. And for some of us, we've never experienced it. But we see that here for Jesus... He had always known that affection and pleasure and validation of the Father. Now, here's what Paul's saying to us here, is that through the indwelling work of the Spirit, we are brought into that intimate relationship. That through the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring to us this experience of His delight this experience of His pleasure that's not based on our performance in any way. That, that pleasure of the Father in us is based upon the performance of Jesus. See, that's the significance of our union with Christ. We are brought into the pleasure of the Father. So in the same way that He says that over Jesus, He says that over us, and it is through the Holy Spirit that we actually experience the delight and pleasure of the Father. You know, also in verse 15, he says that, that uh, we've not received a spirit that makes us slaves again to fear. Now, that is reality before Christ that, that we have the experience of like being slaves. That is part of the reality of being under the law. And we're driven by fear. But then he, he brings a contrast and he says now that in the spirit, uh, we have now been given this new status as sons. Now, that's a, that is a great contrast if you think about that. You know, the relationship of a slave is drastically different than the relationship of a son. The same is true, you know, slavery in the Old Testament was a little bit closer to the modern day uh, relationship and equivalent of an employer to an employee. And just think about that difference for a minute. What's the difference between the relationship of a slave to a master, an employee to an employer, and a son to a father? It's completely and radically different. You know, the basis of that relationship of a slave to a master, the basis is performance. And the, if you perform, then you're accepted by the master. And if you fail to live up to the standard and you fail to perform, then you will be punished. And the motivation for that relationship is fear. It's fear-based. It's fear-driven. If, if I don't perform, if I don't live up, then I'll be cut off or I'll be fired or I'll be beaten in some way. But think how different the relationship of a son is. The basis is not performance. It's relationship. It's, it's blood relation. It's status. You know, for my children, 
I love them not because of what they do or not because of their performance. It's just instinctual. I love them because they're my children. I delight in them. My love is not based upon their performance. And the reality is, is I'm evil. How much more our Father in heaven? See, the basis of a relationship with God is not fear. We're not motivated by fear. We're motivated by love. That's the heart of that relationship. And you see what Paul's saying is that if you've been united to Christ and His Spirit's come into your life, you are a son. You're not a slave. And the motivation of the Christian life is love, not fear. It's a total transformation of that. You see, it's so easy to live the Christian life like a slave. That, that the nature of our relationship with God, even though we have this new status, even though we are actually sons, we're actually sons and daughters and children, it is very easy and very common for the Christian life to be fear-based, to be performance-based, that we think that the way that we relate to God and the way that His pleasure comes is by our performance. And so if we're doing well, then, then he, maybe He delights in us, maybe He accepts in us. Uh, but if we're not performing, if we're not living up to that standard, then He's distancing Himself from us, so often we can live the Christian life out of that status as slaves and through fear. It's possible to actually and legally be a son and yet live like an orphan. And the reality is so many of us in the Christian life do that very thing. I know in my own life there's a tremendous tendency to move from Relating to God on the basis of being His son and His child, being fully accepted in Him, to move back into this reality of performance-based relationship. It's so easy to go there. And so Paul says the work of the Holy Spirit is actually to bring us into an experience of this status Verse 16, <clears throat> verse 16 he re reiterates this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So often we think that the work of the Holy Spirit is, is just to show us things or help us to make a decision in life or empower us to do something. And He can do those things, but the emphasis for Paul here is that the, the work of the Spirit is to confirm deeply in our hearts the truth of our sonship, the truth of our being His children, the truth of God's acceptance of us, is to bring that, that, that reality for us, that thing that's now true of us, that identity, and actually bring it to bear on our hearts so that it becomes an experienced reality. And let me tell you, God doesn't just want us to know this truth in our heads. He wants through the Spirit to make it real to our hearts. And the reality is when it becomes real upon your heart, it becomes a powerful motivation for the Christian life. It becomes like an explosion of joy in your heart that it literally compels us out in the Christian life. This is the work of the Spirit to make the truth of our sonship and acceptance real to the heart. 
But there's a second thing I want us to see in the passage here, not only about our identity in Christ and how the Spirit makes that identity a felt reality upon the heart, but also how suffering is the mark, is the evidence of our status and identity as His sons and daughters. Now we might think that, well, if I'm really accepted and delighted in, if I have the Father's pleasure, then everything in my life is just going to go great. I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to have hard things in my life. You know, if God really delights in me in this way, then everything in my life is just going to go well. And that's a very common thing that we hear in the Christian life. But just the opposite is what the Apostle Paul presses upon us in this passage and many others. Look at the second part. Well, let's just look at verse 17 and what he says here. Now, if we are children, and we are, and he's made that point here, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Just think about that reality. We're going to inherit everything that belongs to God is one day going to become ours because we've been united to Jesus and we now share in His inheritance. All that's coming. But look at what he says here in the second part of this verse. If... Indeed, we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. See what's Paul saying there? All of that's true if we share in His sufferings. So in other words, part of the way that you know I really am His son and daughter Part of the way that you know I really do belong to Him and He delights in me and I'm His, I'm His beloved child that He delights in. Part of how you know that's true is because of the presence of suffering in your life. That's probably not what we would have expected Paul to say is the mark of our identity in Christ. You see, it is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus that shows us I really am His son. I really am His daughter. I really am His child. Now, why is that? Because when we're united to Jesus, we are united not just to His life. We're united to His sufferings. We we participate in the sufferings of Christ. When we suffer, that's a part of Jesus' sufferings in some mysterious way. Is when we suffer, we are having fellowship with Jesus in His suffering. It brings us closer to Him. We, we in some way understand more of all that He went through, and He's identifying with us in those sufferings. And, and you see, whenever we're united to Jesus, we're brought into the reality of His suffering. You see, that was also the very pattern of His life. That was the shape of Jesus' life. That was actually the pattern of how He rescues us. That is the pattern and the shape of the gospel. Is that the way that Jesus brought us life was through death. The way that Jesus sets us free is through suffering. The way that He uh, came into His glory and brings that glory, that resurrected glory to us is through the cross. You see, resurrection comes only through and after crucifixion. That is the pattern of the gospel. That is how Jesus saved us. But it's not just what He did to save us. It is actually the pattern by which He continues to transform and shape us. So you see, as Paul says here, the mark of our identity is if we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. 
The way to share in the glory of Jesus is through our sufferings. It's how we grow. Now, be careful that whenever you hear suffering, you don't just think of big things. It's easy to think that, to think of suffering and to think, oh, that must be referring to tragedy or persecution or these big things in my life. And it certainly can refer to those things. But suffering is also, can also be small things. And sometimes the small suffering is the worst. Sometimes it's the insult or the slide remark. Sometimes it's the uh, ingratitude that you're shown when you serve another person. Sometimes it's a sickness that you've been entrusted with in your life. Sometimes it's a failed relationship or, or some brokenness that you're tasting in your life. Or sometimes it's depression or anxiety. Don't, be careful that you don't just think sufferings is the big things. It's, it's all of the reality of experiencing the brokenness of our own hearts and living in a broken world. And it's always associated with love. You know, if you're going to love another person, you're going to suffer. I mean, that's what love is. Love is suffering for another person. It's giving up my rights for the good of another person. Love is always shaped like the cross. It always looks like dying. And if you're going to love another person, it means you've got to die to yourself. It means that I'm going to give or do something or show something that does not benefit me. In fact, it costs me for the good of another person. And oftentimes in this life, when you're going to serve another person, when you're going to love them, you're not going to receive uh, thanks from that. You're not going to ex uh, receive acknowledgement. Sometimes you're going to be mistreated back. That's suffering. The reality is, is that if we love, we are going to suffer. But what Paul says here is that all of that suffering is a sharing in the suffering of Christ, and it is the way in which we experience His glory. See, that's God's ultimate goal for me and you. Glory. God wants to glorify us. Now, we all want glory. We know this very, very tangibly in everyday life. It's why we're so concerned about how we look or we're so concerned about being identified with the right uh, parenting strategy or the way that we eat or how we look or being associated with the right football team. Or uh, It's why we name drop and it's why we do all the things that we do. We're so concerned with our Facebook status. All of those things are because deep down we want glory. We want to be glorified. We want to be people of significance and weight. And we want to matter and we want to have value. Here's the thing we got to see. We were made for glory. And God is going to glorify us. But not in the empty, shallow glory that we're so often chasing after in our life. That's not real glory. God wants to bring us real glory, real weight, real substance, character. To be like Jesus Himself, to be people of shining beauty and glory in the inner being and person of who we are. See, God is going to do that. That's His ultimate goal. And He will do it through our suffering.
So, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to discuss this right after the sermon here. You're going to have a chance to hit pause and discuss it together if you're with a group. I want to encourage you just individually as well to journal on this, to take some time this week. And I'm going to give you two questions that I want you to meditate on and really work out this week from the passage and to apply in your life. So take some time to get along with God and to get with others and discuss and process these two questions here. You ready? The first one is this. Are you experiencing your sonship? Are you experiencing, in your heart, are you experiencing the delight and the pleasure of the Father because of your status in Christ? Is that something that's real to your heart? Are you at a gut, visceral, heart level experiencing God's love and pleasure and delight in you? That's the first question. And then secondly, if you were experiencing that, how would that change the hard things you're walking through in your life? How would that impact how you respond to the suffering and hardships and difficulties in your life. That's what I want you to discuss. That's what I want you to process with the Lord. Okay, it's good to be with you, sons and daughters of the High King.